Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sports Virus Podcast, everybody. I'm Joe Castellano. We are sponsored by Kane's Tire in San Rafael, where they have had the lowest prices in Marin County, California for over 60 years. Today, we're going to talk to Joe Salvatore, now with iHeartRadio as a sports anchor, after he spent 23 years with KCBS. And we will talk about the Bay Area sports scene, including the Warriors-Grizzlies series and the Giants and A's as well. Here's a conversation that we had on Tuesday. Well, Joe, thanks a lot for joining me today. And uh, what a time it is right now as far as watching sports in the Bay Area, especially when you consider what's going on with this Warriors Grizzlies series. We're going to start there. Uh, I mean, are you just glued to this series? It, it's pretty captivating, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's not your normal series, that's for sure, especially with all the off-court slash Twitter drama, um, <laughs> which makes it a little bit different. Um, and the style of play, you know, going into game or after game four, truthfully, that was kind of hard to watch for most of it. Um, you know, it almost looked like uh, the Warriors were playing in quicksand because the uh, the pacing of the game was just so methodically slow and the fact that they couldn't hit threes and the first three quarters were just, you know, really hard to watch. But again, you know, championship pedigree comes out in the fourth quarter and uh, they were able to pull it out. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing, Joe. I don't think I've seen the Warriors play that badly for three quarters, at least not in a playoff game. I mean, to be 0 for 15 on their threes to start out uh, the game as far as that, but just the first three quarters on offense, not only poor shooting, but just throwing the ball all over the place, sloppiness. I mean, it's hard to believe they could win a game like that. Yeah, you know, it was almost like, and that, you know, could it be the Steve Kerr situation? Of course, testing positive for COVID, what, about 5.15, I guess, uh, yesterday, or yeah. just before uh, game four. It's really hard to say if that made, made an impact on them. You know, it just took them three quarters to get that out of their system and get back to just playing basketball. But, you know, like I said, you know, they are used to winning. They know how to win. They know how to win in the postseason. And it looked like not even the beginning of the fourth quarter, I'd say – Halfway through, they looked like they turned that uh, lever on, that switch on, and they were able to get back on track. Yeah, I mean, nobody was hitting shots except, you know, Otto Porter hit some threes and he was helping them. But really, I mean, Curry saved the day. And how many times has he done that over the years? You know, especially when you consider regular season games where you thought there's no way the Warriors are going to win this game. And then Curry finds a way. I mean, that's what makes him so great. Yeah, you know, it's funny. um, 2015. I was going through, like, you know, Facebook does these memories thing, and apparently <laughs> on this day, Curry had a huge fourth quarter against the Rockets in the playoffs. And I was just thinking to myself, boy, you know, we just saw this the day before with uh, what he did, what, 18 points in the last eight minutes, I think, of the fourth quarter in game four. So, you know, he's able to turn it on when he needs to. And, of course, the defense, the, the two blocks, by uh, Draymond Green in the last minute, obviously were huge to uh, get the Warriors that win. Yeah, he is just so valuable. And and I don't know about you, but when I see him out there yelling at the officials, 
I just keep wondering, you know, how much tolerance are they going to have? Is he going to get a technical? You know, what's going to happen? You almost you want him to tone it down a little bit because you know how valuable he is, but it just seems like he's unable to tone that down when he's in the heat of the moment. Yeah, that that seems to be the case. So in game four, they did seem to give him a lot of rope, the officials. They let him, you know, get upset about the, the calls, and they, you know, a couple of the officials walked away, which is probably a good thing because you don't really, you know, you don't want to entice it and make it worse. And, of course, from the Warriors' perspective, like you said, they're just holding their breath, saying, I don't get another technical. And, uh, you know, the, official, the officials were able to, you know, pace themselves, if you will, and let Draymond, you know, blow off some steam and let the game continue, which I think, I think most fans, even if they're not Warrior fans or Draymond Green fans, I think they just want the teams to play. They, you don't want to get into this whole dragging the game pace down, you know, you know players are going to be upset with certain calls. You just have to let the game pace itself. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of players uh, get upset with calls, uh, but this is a series, I guess, that will be remembered for the code. I-, I always thought the code only applied to baseball, but I guess you know we found that it's it is applying in the NBA because Steve Kerr is the one who brought it up when uh, you know Dylan Brooks caused the injury to GP2. And by the way, give Brooks a little bit of credit because he did say if he could take it back, he would. So he was apologetic. Uh, But, you know, after that, you have the accusations against Jordan Poole. So it's been an odd series, as you mentioned earlier, uh, where people are are looking at social media a lot and slowing down replays and and talking about this code. Yeah, you know, you're right, because you don't think of basketball having a code. But probably every sport does, and baseball has been – the one that's always talked about, you know, the unwritten rules and codes. Um, but, yeah, this is the, the first series. And, of course, a lot of this is brought on by the Grizzlies and, you know, even their head coach with the MRI on John Morant. You know, he wouldn't even come out and say what the, what the MRI showed, you know. Yeah. And I've never seen a coach, you know, bring up the fact that a player has had an MRI and not give the results. I mean, it's like they're trying to egg this thing on, where the Warriors are trying to just tone it down as far as, you know, the war of words or, you know, going back and forth as far as social media, you know. And part of that, I think, is the Warriors having been there, done that for so long in the postseason. And I think that's what's made them a great team over the last decade is that, they can tone a lot of this stuff out and just concentrate on getting the job done in the postseason. And the Grizzlies are a much younger team. Um, they haven't had as much postseason experience. And so they're, they, they'll probably learn over time that you just don't want to, you know, poke the bear, so to speak. You just want to just play the game. And, you know, the Warriors, for their credit, have tried to just, ignore this and and move on and just play basketball. Yeah, and I know coaches can't totally control players, but Joe, it seems to me like during a playoff series or even just during the entire playoffs, it's probably a bad idea to be tweeting about stuff when it's fresh in your mind and, you know, this back and forth on social media. I mean, I guess it's entertaining for us, but for a team, do you want that kind of distraction, you know? No, you don't. And, uh, you know, 
and you're right, it's in the heat of the moment because a lot of those tweets were deleted within yeah. 30 minutes or something. But people have cameras on their phone, and those screenshots of those tweets are out there forever. And so, um, you know, even though it's been deleted from Twitter, it's still out in the public eye, and, you know... It, it's the world we live in, Joe. You know, people, it's instant reaction, instant gratification, and, you know, these players are younger. You know, Warriors are more of a veteran team overall, and so they can, like I mentioned earlier, they know how to kind of channel in their emotions and, and not let the heat of the moment get to them and use social media as a platform to uh, exhibit their anger at that moment. And, again, the Grizzlies, as they, you know, get older and more developed, they'll, they'll probably stop doing this. But for the time, I think the Warriors right now are using it to their advantage. I don't know how much it matters, Joe, who's in the starting lineup, because what really matters is who you have in really in crunch time at the end of the game. But, you know, every minute does count. And the Warriors started Jonathan Kaminga and then didn't play him really after, you know, he might have had a couple of bad moments defensively when Steven Adams dunked on him. So he was just done, even though he was a starter. So, what do you see going forward in this series and even beyond in the playoffs as far as starting lineup for the Warriors? Well, I think it depends on the opponent, obviously. Um, I think we're going to obviously see the small lineup for most of it because that seems to be where they've had the most success. Um, you know, it's interesting because people with Mike Brown taking over for Steve Kerr, you know, people don't realize that it's really not going to make that big a difference in the way the Warriors run their offense. Uh, I, Mike Brown has what they call time management has been his responsibility. So, like, with Steph Curry coming back from injuries, he's the one that controls when Curry comes in, the time he takes out, of you know, takes off per quarter. Um, so there's really no big difference there. But I, I think we're going to start seeing – more of the small lineup for the rest of the way. And as you mentioned, it really doesn't matter anymore. It's not like the old NBA where you're starting five and who finishes. It's just matchups and who you know performs best against that particular team. And I think that's what's going to happen as we go forward. You know, it still drives me crazy, and this isn't just the Warriors, this is all teams, when a player is driving towards the basket and he throws out for a three. I, You know, I saw that a couple times in the game last night, and that just stuck in my mind to, to ask you about that. Is it, does that kind of drive you crazy, or do you think that's just sort of the way modern basketball is, and, you know, they're going to look for those threes as many times as they can? Yeah, it, it is. I, I, I know where you're coming from, it, and having watched the NBA for 40-plus years, <laughs> It's it's like what are they doing? Why are they you know they, they could go right in, but they're always looking for threes. And you know, it's amazing because even four or five years ago, you know, the amount of three pointers per game has gone up like eighty five percent or something crazy. And we're talking just since twenty sixteen or so. So that is where the game is headed now. It's like even if you have an open look or an open lane. You're going to kick it out for someone to hit a three. And, you know, I guess we're just old school, but <laughs> it's just the way the game just the way the way game is being played today. And, you know, just like everything, like baseball with the shifts, and you just sort of have to adjust to it or else, you know, the game will pass you by. 
We'll continue the conversation with Joe Salvatore from iHeartRadio right after this. When it's time for new tires, you want the lowest prices and the best service, don't you? Well, Kane's Tire in San Rafael has you covered on both. Kane's has the lowest prices in Marin County, and they provide the warm and welcoming service that you can only receive from a family-run business. Voted Best of Marin for 35 years in a row, Kane's prices beat Costco's prices every time. Kane's Tire, 1531 4th Street in San Rafael. Give him a call at 415-453. 2942. That's 415 453 2942 for Kane's Tire. On to Bay Area baseball. And uh, I want to get to the Giants, but first, the A's. I mean, this team right now is in last place. They're struggling. They're not drawing attendance. I mean, who knows what the, the future is? What are your thoughts about the way things are going over there in Oakland? Well, um, I think as far as the fans go, they're, they're basically boycotting it, and kudos to them. I mean, they're tired of this constant, quote-unquote, rebuild. And, of course, with the talk of them you know, looking at land in Las Vegas, at the same time this thing at Howard Terminal is going on, um, you know, I think the fans have had enough. And, you know, it is amazing because it brings me back to my childhood when Charlie Finley owned the team, and they were drawing like in 1979. They had two games under 1,000 oh. against Seattle. They, I think it was 653 paid. Oh. That was like in April. I went to the actual second one, which was against Texas <laughs> in September of that year, 750. <laughs> Plenty of good seats and, available. No lines oh, for concessions. Yeah. It, was, it was ridiculous, and being at that game, I still can remember, I was 12, and they had cordoned off from about just past the dugout down the left and right field line, so you couldn't, you know, sit, like they would know somebody was sitting there, and they'd run and try to get them out of there, but it's almost like that era again, and, you know, the A's also raised double the lot of the ticket prices for season ticket holders. It's almost like a, a modern bad news or modern major league, uh, <laughs> right? Right. Movie, you know. <laughs> um, but as far as on the field, I mean, yeah, you know, they're they're rebuilding again. Um, they, you know, losing Chapman and Olson obviously offensively has really hurt them right now because the pitching staff, even though they traded away Bassett and Manaya, their pitching's been pretty good. It's just the offense; they just have no offense at all. And uh, they, they hit pretty well at the beginning of the year, but during this nine-game losing streak that ended on uh, Monday, they just have not been able to score. And, you know, you're, you're taking out, you know, 65, 70 home runs between Chapman and Olsen, and that's, that's a big part of your offense. And you're losing two guys. One is a platinum gold-glove third baseman. The other is a gold-glove first baseman. So that's obviously hurt their defense, but... You know, this is, as we've said for the last 25 years, this is a transitional time for the A's, whether they can get this Howard Terminal built or is Major League Baseball really going to let them move the ball? Since you mentioned the movie Major League, you just made me think of Jake Taylor, the catcher for the 
Indians in the movie. And uh, it makes me think of, you know, Buster Posey basically didn't want to be like him and just kind of being that aging guy, you know, who yeah. can't even move around. Although, you know, Posey was the leader of the Giants, much the way uh, Jake Taylor, that character, was in Major League. And uh, I think the Giants definitely miss Posey. Now, they've righted the ship here recently after having that, what, five-game losing streak. Five games. Right. Uh, but I, I still think throughout the season they're going to miss Posey. I, I know they played with him without him a couple of years ago, but when he was back in there last year, you saw what he did for the team and what he did over his career. So, uh, you know, how much of an impact does it have on the team, and, and do you see this team uh, being able to hang with the Dodgers and the Padres in the NL West? Well, I think they do miss uh, Posey big time. Um, you know, his leadership not only um, with the pitching staff, but just as overall uh, being a leader in the clubhouse and, you know, how well he did, as you mentioned, last year. I mean, he had one of his best years in his final season, and obviously he can still play if he wanted to. But, um, you know, they're, they're definitely missing all the intangibles that Buster Posey brings. And um, I think, you know... They're playing, you know, as you mentioned, they're, they're, they're sort of back on track. Their offense had really, just like the A's, their offense was really struggling in that five-game losing streak. I think they only scored five runs total in that streak. And then they kind of busted out against the Cardinals the last two games of that four-game series to uh, split the series. So I think the offense is there. Lamont Wayne Jr. is back. He's, he homered, I think, his second game back after coming back from uh, rehab. So I think the offense is there, and Carlos Rendon has pitched really well. I mean, so far he has given them what they wanted, yeah. signing him as a free agent. And on a lot of teams, he would be the number one starter. And um, so he's done his thing. And actually, Logan Webb has really scuffled over the last um, three starts, but the Giants' offense has been able to pick him up. So if he gets back on track with Carlos Rendon pitching – like they hoped he would. I, you know, you got two good starters, top of the line starters right there. Um, the bullpen seems to be okay. Um, the ball seems to be, you know, he's not quite as torture as Brian Wilson, but uh, he can <laughs> definitely right. make it into. He's not, you know, Dennis Eckersley, one, two, three, and it's over, but, you know, he seems to be getting the job done. I, th- I think they can hang with the Dodgers and the Padres. Um, you know, I would expect the Giants to make some moves as we get to the deadline um, to improve the team. But I, I think, you know, I think it's going to be a three-team race going down the stretch, and I see the Giants being in there. Yeah, all these teams are really good. Uh, let's talk about you and your career. And you were at KCBS for 23 years, as you were telling me before the podcast. And uh, when I think of you, you know, I always think of you being in the, pr- the press boxes and uh, reporting on the games. And, you know, it's just so odd what happened, of course, with COVID. And then uh, you're not at KCBS anymore. Now you're working for iHeartRadio. So tell us about the transition and, uh, you know, how much do you miss being in the press boxes? I miss it a lot because, as you mentioned, I was uh, there for a long time. And even before working at KCBS, I did a lot of freelancing for radio networks. So I was, I started in the press box, I guess, in 1987 season. Wow. So you're talking 33 years um, of covering games. And it was quite an adjustment. Part of it, you know, it, it happened in 2020, and that was 
during the pandemic, the early stages of the pandemic. So last, that that year, it wasn't as shocking an adjustment because everybody was going through it. Um, you know, people were not covering games, doing it from home, doing it on Zoom. So it, you know, it didn't feel as different as it could have been because everybody was going through it. But, you know, last year when people started going back to covering games, that's when I really started missing it more. And um, this season especially, I, I definitely missed. And it's not just covering the games, but it's people like you, you know, <laughs> seeing people on a daily basis. Because, um, you know, truthfully, during a baseball season, you see people you work with in a press box more than your own family a lot of times because it's a daily grind. And that part of it I definitely, you know, miss. I miss the people a lot, but hopefully I'll be able to get back out there sooner than later. When you think about a shift of doing updates, I'm curious what you consider to be some of the biggest challenges of it because um, I kind of liken it to being a beat reporter on baseball where you've got to mix it up. You know, on a, on a daily basis, there are so many baseball games, you've got to figure out different leads each time. And you, when you're doing reports, you know, let's say you're doing them, uh, you know, every uh, half hour, uh, you, you're trying to mix it up. I wonder, is that the biggest challenge? And how do you uh, do that? How did you evolve as an updates anchor? Well, you're, you're right. You do mix it up. And it depends on the time of year. Because, uh, you know, September is pretty busy with the NFL, Major League Baseball. That's good. The more you have, the more you can mix it up. The downtimes are like February when the NBA used to be, the NBA and NHL would do their all-star games the same week. So that used to be really difficult because there would be no games and – Spring training really hadn't started yet, so it'd be mid-February, let's say, and then that would be difficult because then you're trying to find stories and trying to make two minutes, which seem like twenty minutes when there's not a lot to talk about. But right. when it's baseball season, yeah, you do mix it up a lot. You know, um, this time of year, for instance, you'd have you know the Ace Giants, Warriors, so there's enough to mix up. You could start with the Warriors and then do the baseball side, and then the next half hour, go to the baseball lead, then the Warriors. Sometimes you could do baseball and then the scores, like games going on at the time or finals. So, you know, you tried to mix, like, four, like basically what we would do is we would write out four different cats over two hours. And then, you know, when things were live, you would have to just edit on the fly. And when things were done, obviously, you'd have the finals in. You'd have all the game story that you wrote. And, you know, you would just try to mix it up every half hour to have a different lead, different sound. Um, and it was the challenging part was when everything was going on live while you were live. And, you know, for instance, when I was at the ballparks, I'd be doing a cast. And all of a sudden, you'd hear the crowd noise behind me because, let's say, Buster Posey had a home run while I was talking. Right. So then you have to, like, let the play finish out because you're not the right soul. So <laughs> yeah. you can't 
go on and say, you know, there's a high, you know, you can't do play by play. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, one of the weirdest things happened, I believe it was in 2006, when Bond tied or passed Babe Ruth. I believe it was when he passed Babe Ruth against the Rockies. Okay, yeah. And I was on the air. It was one of my, like, 15 after. And, um, you know, I tried to wait till it was over, then I mentioned it. And I started getting phone calls after the cast that I was like the first person that was on the air describing what happened, and I didn't quite understand what they were doing. Apparently, the Giants broadcast got cut off. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And I was like the first person to actually mention it on radio (laughs) because they had lost their feet. And I didn't know why people were were telling me, hey, you're the first person to mention this on the radio. And I was like, what? And that's what happened. So that was sort of the weirdest thing. The other thing I got to do recently, that all Braden's 12th anniversary of his perfect game on Mother's Day. And the final out turned out to be while I was on the air live. The good thing was at the time, CBS had the rights to the A's broadcast. We were the rights holder. Ah. And so we were given permission, if the game ended during the perfect game, that I could do, not play-by-play, but describe more live. And it so happened, it ended like right around 3.15, and I was able to kind of pontificate, if you will, more on that. So that, that's kind of cool. But uh, yeah, you, you know, it, it, it's fun when it's live, when things are happening in front of you, but it's also challenging because you got to kind of change your, your script as you go along. Um, so it was definitely fun. It's just getting back into the swing of that tempo, if you will, after not doing it for two years. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like you got to get on the, on the horse again. Uh, yeah. I was curious, too, when you talk about some of those great moments, like you mentioned Bonds or, or a perfect game, and great teams, you know, you think about the Giants winning the World Series three times and then the Warriors winning the title and all that kind of stuff, but when a team is struggling or you have several teams that are not doing well, does that make it more challenging, you know, when you've got a team that's 25 games out of first place and it's the middle of the summer and, you, you know, let's say both teams are not doing well, A's and Giants, I would think that's more challenging. Yeah, it, it's, it's definitely more challenging because you don't know if people are interested in those teams, you know, if it's in July and they're 30 games out of first. <laughs> right. um, and you have to be honest. You know, there was a, a period, no line to the uh, street cleaning in the background. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, you also have to be, you know, brutally honest. You can't sugarcoat that these teams are terrible, right? So if they're in the middle of a losing skid, you sometimes have to make light of it, you know, jokingly around with it in some form, um, you know, because if you sit there and, and make it sound like things are great, the listener who knows sports is going to know you're just full of crap, right? Nice. So I think I, I can't remember how it, what I said. The Giants, like, 1996 or 90, 96, I guess, were just awful. And they had made up, like, four or five errors in a game, and I kind of made fun of the situation. And someone in their PR department the next day 
comes up to me and says, you know, you made fun of us on the radio. I'm like, <laughs> well, guys aren't very good, and you made five errors in the game, and, you know, I have to be honest and tell it like it is, as they say. So, yeah, you, you know, you can have a little bit of fun with it because if, if you're not being truthful to the listener, they know. And, you know, it, it's tough, you know. It's All actually, right. in some respects, it's when teams are really good and teams are really bad, you can do more, if you will. It, what's tough is when they're just mediocre, like 500 or just kind of treading water. Right. You know, win one, lose one, win one, lose one. There's not a lot there. So it's actually easier in some respects when they win 12 in a row or lose 12 in a row because there's more to go on to try to expand the streaks that they're on. When they're not really streaking anywhere, I think that actually is the hardest part. Yeah, you mean you, you need something that's interesting. And, and you, yeah. <laughs> by the way, you just made me think of when you were talking about a, a lot of errors. I remember I was doing a minor league game one time, and this shortstop made six errors in the game, and he came up to yell at the score after the game. And I was thinking to myself, well, you know, if he changed one or two, you still would have had four or five errors. Like, you know, <laughs> if you're having a bad game, you're having a bad game, and we got to be honest about it. Yeah, you can't just sugarcoat it and say, <laughs> you know, don't. I'm not going to name names, but there are teams that have homers as play-by-play. Right. <laughs> who will blame, like in that case, might blame the official score for, oh, that ball should have, there's no way you could give an error, you know. <laughs> I mean, we hear that all the time. Exactly. And so you you got to be honest. Like you said, you got to, you know, tell the listener or the viewer if it's TV play-by-play or TV sports casting, what's really going on. And today with social media and video and, you know, it's all out there. And Dwayne Kuyper on the Giants broadcast Monday night, they were talking about a game where he had two bases loaded triples at Yankee stadium with the, when he played for the Indians <laughs> and the, the truck, the TV truck went right to either baseball um you know, either retro sheet or basic reference and looked up the game like within 15 seconds. Yeah, it's and amazing. And all the stats. And then Kai made a comment that, you know, you can't lie in. <laughs> it's true, like, you can't. <laughs> you can't say you had a five-hit game in, night on, you know, 1975 <laughs> against the Tigers. They can go look that up in 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, no, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know that that's true. Even just in in broadcasting in general, you know, you, you know, you can't sugarcoat or or I wouldn't say lie, but kind of water down a story or a certain situation because people can call you on it in seconds. Absolutely. Well, Joe, uh, congratulations on the new gig with iHeartRadio. Good luck with that. It's great to hear your voice again. I haven't talked to you in a while. And, uh, you know, look forward to seeing you at some point at the ballpark again. I am, too. I'm looking forward to seeing you, too, Joe. Thanks a lot for having me. That's Joe Salvatore from iHeartRadio. We'll be back in another couple of weeks with the next edition of the Sports Virus Podcast. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.